Father, we, we ask that your spirit would teach us. Uh, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and acknowledge we don't know uh, what it was like to live 4,000 years ago uh, in the desert. Uh, but Father, we know that the same God who provided all the children of Israel needed is the same God who is here with us in Denver, Colorado today on December 2nd, 2018. And Father, we pray, uh, Lord, that we would learn your ways and that we would be transformed by your love. And God, that we would be, um, that you would do the work of changing us because we are hard and, and, uh, and we are selfish and we are broken in so many ways. And we are asking you, God, to reach down from heaven and to take care of us like you took care of the people uh, in Israel that we're reading about today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys know Charles Spurgeon, right? Spurgeon quote. Okay, this is, yeah, this is a Spurgeon quote, um, but it, it requires a little pre-explanation. Pre, uh, Spurgeon was saved on January 6th, 1850. Okay, this is a long time ago. And on February 1st, so this is less than one month after he got saved, he wrote this. I'm gonna, this is our Spurgeon quote, okay? It's a prayer of consecration. And it says, O great and unsearchable God, who knowest my heart and triest all my ways, with a humble dependence upon the support of the Holy Spirit, I yield myself up to thee as thine own reasonable service, sacrifice. I return to thee thine own. I would be forever, unreservedly, perpetually yours while I am on the earth. I would serve thee. I may enjoy thee and praise thee forever. Amen. Okay, so he prayed that prayer of consecration. Chapter 29 of Exodus, what we're going to study today, it describes the way that priests were consecrated to serve God for their whole life. Spurgeon said, I'm going to serve God my whole life because you love me. I'm going to dive deep into a relationship with you and enjoy you and serve you, he says. Did you catch those words? Um, so to consecrate means to dedicate to a divine purpose. Once you come to know Jesus, what is your point of living? What is your entire point of life? It is to serve him, to know him and serve him, right? But our life has meaning and it's to serve God. It's we become consecrated to divine service. But some of us go on living our life uh, on our own. And then, so, and then a point in time comes where we realize, maybe I shouldn't be living my life for me since Jesus saved me. I want to, he's transformed my heart and I want to serve him. I want to live for him. And so we then think I need to consecrate myself to serve God. I'm going to dedicate myself to serve God. Has anyone had a moment in their life where they said, I want to serve God from this day forward the rest of my life? Anyone had that? Okay. It happens. It's a real thing. This chapter is going to teach us what that is all about because we can go very wrong when it comes to consecration. We can make it all about works and ourself. There's a great reason for consecration. It's, it's full surrender. God can use someone who is fully surrendered to him. But it isn't primarily so that we can be workers for God. 
his busy little bees, doing all kinds of things for him. When you think about serving God, do you think about all the things you should do for him? I should have tracks in my pockets at all times and hand them to people. I should help every old lady across the street. I should kiss all the boo-boos. <laughs> I should do this, that, or the other, anything. Is it really about being a worker for God? Consecration, what we learn is that it is going to be about enjoying a deeper and more meaningful relationship with God. And if this is of little interest to us, it's because we have never been properly motivated to true consecration. If you don't care about having a real and deep connection with God, we need the Holy Spirit to transform us. We need that. So I have a couple questions for the church today. Number one, do you consider yourself a worker for God? Serving God out of duty. It is your churchy duty. Or do you consider yourself a son, beloved and accepted by your heavenly father? Those are two vastly different things. I work for God or I'm a child of God. Do you see the difference? Okay. Number two, do you see and rejoice in God's beautiful plan of relationship first? He requires relationship first. Before you serve him, there must be relationship connection. Number three, does relationship, the word relationship, sound scary to you because you have been hurt by opening yourself up in the past? Yes, I'm sure there's many of us who would say that. So my prayer today is that the love of God will convince you that he isn't looking for workers who feel it is their duty to serve him as much as he is searching today in this room for sons and daughters who have always have the Father's interest in mind because they have the same heart of the Father. Two very different things. I need to do what God wants me to do in order to be accepted, or I am accepted by God, and so I love to do the things that he loves. To, yeah, he agrees. All right, so let's get into our text, and we're going to go through this chapter. And you look at this chapter at the beginning, and it looks long, and, but we're going we're gonna to divide it into little chunks and sections, and I'm going to explain those things, and we're going to see how it all wraps up in a real nice bow at the end. So let's look at the consecration of the priests in Exodus chapter 29. It starts out like this. It says, And, the, and this is what you shall do to them to hollow them for ministering to me as priests. So this is the context for the whole chapter. This is what the chapter's about, how to serve God. We're supposed to serve God. We're called to serve God. So how are we going to serve that? This is the way that God has designed for priests to start and continue a life of service, serving God, serving God, serving God. And he says in there, he says, uh, to me, hallow them for ministering to me, as priests, highlight those two little words to me. This is not primarily this chapter about changing the world. Priests and servants of God are not primarily here to change. You're not here to change the world. You are here to build relationship with God, to connect with God, to know God. And through that, the world will get changed, by the way. As a fruit of your connection, your relationship with God, 
the world will be transformed. Now, before we see the details of this chapter, I want to show you the end of consecration, the end of this chapter. So in Leviticus chapter 9, we have this event um, where they consecrated the priests. The first time it happens is in Leviticus. He's teaching Moses right now in our chapter how to do it. But when they actually do it, in Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23, this is what happens. Moses and Aaron went to the tabernacle of meaning and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. The people get to see God when the priests follow the Lord's instructions and bless the people. God is able to accept their offerings. The people are transformed. Their life is now in line with God and his kingdom, and it's not about them anymore. And so what do they do? They shout praises to God, and they bow before him in surrender. The world has changed. And I need you to see that when we do this life God's way, God takes the responsibility of transforming us and transforming the lives around us. It is not our job to change people or to change ourselves. And if you get nothing out of anything I say today, except that it is not our job to be the transformers, transforming others and transforming ourselves. We don't do that. It's his power and his resources that change us and change others from bad to good, from sinner to saint. We can never change ourselves If the people of God never really connect with him, they won't ever truly be different. Next, we're going to see in our text the ingredients needed for connecting with God, this consecration ceremony, okay? So the ingredients for serving God. He says, take one bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them of wheat flour and you shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. So in order to connect with God, God says you need these ingredients. Number one, animals. And and these are lives, 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 lives to sacrifice. There must be a sacrifice. And Jesus became the life that needed to be sacrificed for us, didn't he? He came to provide the payment for sin. There needed to be a payment, a blood sacrifice, and so Jesus is pictured by these animals. The priests in our story need to uh, kill these animals for their own sin. These priests need to learn to put their trust in blood of a sacrifice. And so, again, these priests are not doing a job for the Lord. They are building a relationship of trusting in someone else's blood in the sacrifice of an animal, in this case, another sacrifice. It's a relationship thing, not a job thing, okay? The second thing needed, ingredient-wise, is bread, bread. And bread, we know in the Bible, always talks about fellowship. When you break bread with someone, you sit at the table, you are getting to know that person, the same bread that goes in you, goes in them, and it's like you guys are being united. It's a fellowship, friendship thing. 
Jesus is our bread of fellowship with God. And the priests need to eat this bread in our story today. They're going to be eating this bread. Again, the priests, it's not a job. It's fellowship. It's connection with God. Your job is to eat with me. Oh, well, that's, yeah. <laughs> is it keto, though? Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't keto, sorry. <laughs> uh, so again, so trusting in blood, not a job. Eating bread, not a job. But this is how to consecrate ourselves. Jesus does these things, is pointing to Jesus. The third thing we see required as an ingredient is oil. And oil in the Bible speaks of what? The Holy Spirit. Always speaks of the Holy Spirit. Jesus provides the Holy Spirit to us. So here in our first verse, we have seen Jesus three times foreshadowed his ministry just for us. Isn't that amazing how we can find Jesus in the book of Exodus, written thousands of years, but obviously by God. Jesus provides the Holy Spirit to us. He sends the Spirit to whoever works super hard. No, no, that's not what the Bible says. Oh, what the gives Benny Hinn money on TV? That's not how the Holy Spirit is given? Well, that's why the Holy Spirit is given to Americans. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is given. To, there's so many false conceptions about who gets the Holy Spirit. Someone who has lived a pretty good life and has earned the Holy Spirit. That is, no, it is always only the person who will humble themselves and ask. If we don't ask God to fill us with his spirit, it's not going to happen because you're not going to earn it and you don't get it just by being white or American or Republican or anything else. The only way you can have God's spirit is if you humbly ask. Jesus provides it for whoever asks. The priests in our story will need to be anointed by this oil because they need to humble themselves and realize it, you're not special for being a priest. You were born, and you're basically an idiot. But I can anoint you with the Holy Spirit. I can, I can equip you with the what you need, and that's what the Holy Spirit tells us. Real connection with God is invisible. You can't measure how connected you are with God by outward performance or anything else that people can see on the outside. Someone might look really great like Isaac. He looked great. <laughs> but he could be totally pulling the wool over our eyes, and, and it could be, you know, he's just trying to impress us, or he's trying to earn some position. I don't think that's the truth. We've prayed, and the Lord has given us an okay. But I can't tell what's going on on the inside. We can hardly tell about, we hardly know ourselves. The, the real anointing of God is invisible. You can't measure it. So this anointing, again, is not a job. You can't earn it. It's about relationship. Asking God for the Holy Spirit is how we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's not a job. It's a relationship. So just from the ingredients, we have learned that the sacrifice, the bread, and the oil all are pushing us towards relationship with Jesus as opposed to 
If you want to serve me, you got to do this, do this, and do that. Make sense? Okay, our next section we see here is the washing. Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. So in order to connect with God, and in order to be consecrated to serve God, we have to be washed. I'll, I'll read Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood or in his own blood. The priests were required to be washed by believing the word themselves. Water is a type of the word of God. When you believe the word that says the blood of Jesus is good enough to cleanse you, to forgive you, when you believe that word, you are forgiven and cleansed and washed clean. It's not a job, priests. Stand there and let us wash you. That was their job. Get naked and we're going to wash you. Wow, this is a weird job. This is a strange job because it's all about teaching that God is more interested in relationship than he is you serving. He says you got to believe the word, the water of the word of God. Okay, so our next little section here is the clothing and the anointing. So it says, And you shall take the garments and put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. And you shall put the turban on his head and put a holy crown on the turban, and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. And then you shall bring the sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put hats on them. And the priests shall be, and the priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual or everlasting statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So they're they're all all these priests, all these servants of God, are clothed with all the stuff that we studied a couple weeks ago. And if you if you want to know how each and every part of their clothing points to Jesus and the work that Jesus would do, go back and listen to that message. Uh, but Suffice it to say, all of it pointed toward Jesus and what he does. And uh, Jesus would be the one to fulfill everything that these priests were hoping for. And every part of their clothes was pointing toward Jesus. So to serve God, he says, all you have to do is put on these clothes. The clothes that that speak of Jesus is eventually going to fulfill it. Jesus is eventually going to do it. We put that on, which means... We choose to hope in Christ and trust him moment by moment. That's what it means to put on Christ. The same way these priests were to put on clothes, we put on Christ. Moment by moment. This is what it means to walk by faith. Moment by moment, abiding in his sufficiency, his promises, his power, his purpose, his life becomes mine by choice. So to serve God, we must keep living a dependent life, saying it is not about me and how well I preach, or it's not about me and how well I pray, or how well I study, or how well I witness, or or any other way that we think we are impressing God because we don't. It is about his life and us choosing to put on his life like clothing. 
every problem, every need, everything. We need to be dependent on his strength. Then he's glorified and he will show up in our lives. The person who is consistently clothed in this humble, dependent way is also anointed with the oil, he says. So they would clothe the priest in this. The priests are like, yeah, yeah, it's not about me. It's about what God is going to do. And then he says, then what happens is they're anointed. And, and this shows us that God chooses to pour out his Holy Spirit on those who ask and humbly identify with his son, saying, don't, I, I don't deserve your Holy Spirit. It's not because I am great. It's not because I earn it. It's not because I need it. It's because Jesus I'm in you, and you tell me you'll give it if I ask. So I humble myself, say, I'm broken, I need it. And he says, here it is. God chooses to pour it out on those who identify with his son, those people who take hold of Jesus and his promises by faith and won't let go. They won't take off the old coat of of Jesus, but they abide in the clothing of Christ, abiding in My definition of anointing, then, is God's willingness to empower a life that will humbly trust in Jesus, his son. God's willingness to empower a life, supernaturally, spiritually, that will humbly trust in his son, Jesus. All right, our next section here. We're cruising through this because it's big, and there's a lot there, and we're going to wrap it all up at the end. He says, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting and you shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin is an awful and you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So to serve God, what we learn here is that one must personally go to the altar and partake in this blood sacrifice. You got to get your hands dirty with the blood. This is all about personally choosing to trust in Jesus. I I'm not going to leave going to the altar to someone else. Oh, I go to church and the pastor goes to the altar for me. No. We, if we are going to consecrate ourselves to serve the Lord or be consecrated to serve the Lord, we have to go to the altar and get all up in that blood and smear it all over. Interact with the blood of Jesus. Man, I got this problem. I'm angry all the time. I'm sad all the time. Grab the blood of Jesus and interact with it. How is the blood of Jesus going to fix my problems? I don't know, but it does. When we trust in it, when we call upon Jesus, he meets our needs. And you personally have to do it yourself. No one else can do it for you. Now look what it says. It says they put their hands on the sacrificial animal. And this is a physical description of what must be done spiritually in our lives. Uh, if we are to have, if we desire to have a deep and meaningful relationship with God, let me, um, Spurgeon quote, Spurgeon quote. 
The Hebrew word means uh, more than lightly placing your hand on the bull's head. Like, oh, take my sin. It's much more than that. The Hebrew word gives the idea of pushing hard on the bull's head, almost punching it. That's what the Hebrew word means. And this, um, they came to each one and uh, each bull, and they pushed on them, loading him with their burden and their sin, signifying their acceptance of its substitution and their joy that the Lord would accept the victim instead of them. And when they put their hands on the bull, they made a confession of sin. That's what Spurgeon says about this. They made a confession of sin. So it's, it is, oh my gosh, I have so much sin and I need you to take it. I'm pushing hard into this sacrifice. So the cross for us, where Jesus was slaughtered, is the only place where deep fellowship with God starts and continues. And we need to press in, push in to that sacrifice. Push in. But what if my life isn't that deep right now? What if my connection with God isn't as, in, isn't as genuine as everyone thinks it is or as I want it to be? Where do I got to go? What do I need to do? The answer is to go back to this place of sacrifice. Go back to the cross Is this trying harder? No. This is pushing into the cross. Its sufficiency is what we are pushing towards and moving towards what Jesus did. Remember what he did and try not to figure out what you need to do. Going to the cross by faith is how we push in to the sacrifice like they did physically. So the next part that we look at here is called the burnt offering. So look what it says. You shall take one ram, and Aaron and his his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. And then you shall cut the ram in pieces with its entrails and its legs and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar as it is a burnt offering to the Lord, It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. So we read about the bull, and that spoke of a certain part of Jesus' life. He sacrificed his blood, and it's there where he push in, and he he takes our sin. Next, we read about the burnt offering, and Jesus is the one who whose life was fully consumed as a sacrifice to God. Jesus again is pictured and foreshadowed by a different animal here. Fully surrendered to the will of God is how we would describe Jesus. He always did what his father said, fully. And that's what being burnt as a whole sacrifice foreshadows Jesus, okay? His blood is the only sacrifice that matters. Why doesn't God require us to burn ourselves? I mean, he could have said, if you want to be fully consecrated to me, burn yourself. He could demand that. 
But why doesn't he demand that? Because that wouldn't be a sweet-smelling aroma. Because no matter how hard you try to please God, do you? Are you able? No. Performance-based sacrificial living does not please God. Oh, but you don't know what I've given up to follow God. I don't care. Because it's not enough. You're telling me you impress God? No. We don't impress God. Nothing about us impresses Him. Now, He loves us, but only His Son, Jesus, impresses Him. And that's why this, this ram that was sacrificed, the priests had to put their hands on this ram, acknowledging that this would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God, not them. I am not here to impress you, God. I am here to let Jesus impress you. I live in Christ. I trust in him. He is the one who does it right. God delights in his son. God is fully pleased with his son, Jesus. And it's the work of Jesus we need to trust in and not our own work. And that's why the priests had to put their hands on the head of this one. The rejection of self-source sacrifices leads to a delightful relationship with God. It's called the rest of God, a restful life where we let go and let God do what needs to be done in and through us. Doesn't that sound nice? So why don't we do it? Because deep down inside, we are convinced that we can do something to impress God. We, and that's just the way that we are in our fallen nature. And Jesus is asking us to turn away from that flesh-based relationship with him and instead trust what Jesus has done. Trust that Jesus is the only one that gets glory. Trust him. He did it all. Okay, so now that sins are dealt with, we're done, right? No. God wants to take these guys, these servants, deeper and deeper into fellowship with himself. He's not done by just saying, all your sins are washed away. That's great. He wants to take them deeper. Look at what we see now. This is called the consecration offering. This is about letting the life of Jesus become our very identity. So instead of just having your sins forgiven, we want our whole living experience to just be like Jesus everywhere. Why do you do this? Because of Jesus. Why are you doing that? Because of Jesus. Why are you so great? Because of Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. Look what happens. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of that ram. So we've seen the bull that dealt with sin. We've seen the one ram talking about the, uh, death and, and um, what we just talked about, uh, dealing with sin and sacrifice. And then now we're going to have a different ram that's going to talk about life. So they put their heads on this ram. Then you shall kill that ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, on the tip of uh, the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of their right foot, and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So look at this. This is amazing. When you look at the priests, what do you see? 
If you were living in that day and you saw a priest coming by, what would you see? You would see blood all over them. Just bloodiness. And, and look, every part of their body that was not covered by the clothing that we studied before, which was just the ears, the thumbs, and the, the, the feet, everything else was covered by the clothing. That had blood on it. So when you looked at them, you didn't see Bob the priest. You saw bloody Bob. A Bob that was covered with the blood of a different life, a different animal. And so the thought and the, the, the first thought you would see, you would think when you saw this person is blood of a sacrifice. And it says all their clothes too. They just sprinkled them with blood all over, just pouring blood all over them. And that shows that this was now their identity. Not their privileged position. I am priest, hear me. My authority, listen to me. But it was their identity was the blood. It's not even my blood. I'm not special. It has nothing to do with me. It's the blood of a different life that it matters. And Jesus told us, pick up your cross daily and follow me. The cross was a bloody thing. And his life is supposed to be seen on us so much that when people look at you, they don't see someone always trying to change their identity. You guys ever seen Forrest Gump? Okay. We watched that movie last night. It was awesome. Um, but you know Jenny, she's always trying to change her identity. Right? She, she grows up and she becomes like a, a hippie. And well, she, first she's like a college girl and she's trying out everything in college. And then she becomes a hippie. And then she becomes like a disco drug addict. Then she becomes like, she's trying to be a singer. And she's got all these different phases that she goes through trying to gain an identity. And I think some of us in our lives have gone through all these different phases of this is my identity. I remember when I used to wear a wallet chain. It's just embarrassing. Oh, gosh. Anyway, when our identity is only wrapped up in the life of Christ and in his blood, you got it. Your life means something. When people look at you, they don't see you, they see him. And that is a supernatural reality that I can't force and I can't make it happen. Only the life of Christ can. So why is it on their ear, their thumb, and their big toe? It's because how they hear and how they walk and how they work, thumb, uh, or we're all consecrated through the blood of Jesus. He, he, he fixes it all. His life does it all. So the way they walk, the way they live their life, the way they hear the word of God, the way they serve God, uh, it's all Jesus. It's all his blood that matters. Now we go further into this consecration of priests. Look what happens. It's called the wave offering. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe, I like saying that, attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration. One loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. And you shall receive them back from their hands and burn them uh, on the altar as a burnt offering and as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take 
the bread of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. And it shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and for his sons a statute forever. For it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. So some parts of this sacrifice, this new one, uh, were waved before the Lord, and some of them were burnt. Then the most edible parts were waved before the Lord and then eaten. So two process, two-step process. First, you wave some and burn it, and then you wave some and eat it. Okay? And this shows that God provides the life of Jesus for a back-and-forth relationship with his people. They're sharing a meal. They're sharing a conversation. First, they're waving, they're, they're presenting the, the sacrificial life of Jesus before God, and it pleases God. It's burnt up. And he's like, yeah, I dig it. Then they wave it again, talk about the life of the Lord, the sacrifice of the Lord, and then they consume it. And they are nourished, and they are cared for. And see, it's a back-and-forth conversational relationship with God. Jesus satisfies his heart, the Father's heart, Completely, he is, eat, he is pleased and satisfied when they present him the life of sacrifice. And then we are nourished by that same life. So Jesus said in John 6, 55, my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. His sacrifice, he's saying, is nourishment. It pleases God. It, please, it, it nourishes us, and that's what that is all about. The week of consecration is in the next section here. It's so an entire week where they would continue doing these type of things. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be uh, his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. The son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. And the Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread in its basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with, with which the atonement was made to consecrate and sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offering or the bread that remains until the morning, you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So, he says whenever there's a transition in priesthood, it's not about getting to work right away. God could have said, you have a whole list of things you have to do, but he, instead he wants us to stop and marinate in his grace, in his love. 
He says, for a whole week, I don't want you working. I don't want you doing anything except these things that all teach you to, to trust in my son, to trust in his life, to ask for his life, to receive his life. It is all about him. God is, this is enforcing the idea of relationship with God, and that relationship is not quick and easy. We are Americans, and we want fast food. Fast relationship, drive-by Christianity, where we drive through, we get our little sermon, and we drive home. And God is saying here, that won't work. Real relationship with God is slow and bloody, but real. And we have to take time to, to spend with him. And God is more concerned, much more concerned, with making a holy people than a productive people. When were the priests supposed to learn how to do all the stuff they needed to do? God doesn't really tell us. He says the only thing they are focused, they need to be focused on is relationship with me. You'll figure out everything else, God says. When you have a relationship with me, it will work out. That's all that matters. He is absolutely not interested in what is most economical. If he was were, were interested in that, there would be a blueprint for how to be a priest, and that would be the first thing they focus on studying. But it's not. It's all this bloodiness. It's all these sacrifices. It's all this relationship-building stuff where they were learning to put their hope in the Lord. But I can't spend time with God because I'm too busy. I don't have the time. I have all this ministry to do. That just doesn't work. It will never work. We've missed it all when we become that way. God requires a whole week of resting in the life of Jesus. Paul spent three years in the desert before he started any ministry after he got saved. Jesus spent 30 years just abiding with the Father before he did a single thing in ministry. And we don't think we need to develop a deeper life of dependence upon God. We have it all figured out more than Jesus, more than Paul. It is just fine for you to sit and abide with God. We do say sometimes that we're looking for servants, but trust me, we're not looking for servants that aren't consecrated. We're not looking for servants who want to serve to get to know God. Serving does not equal sanctification. Serving does not get you closer to God. Serving doesn't earn you God's favor. Serving does none of that. Only relationship building with God based on his grace, based on the sacrifice of Jesus. Those are the only things that draw us closer to God and then make our service acceptable and productive. Does that make sense? Okay, so the last part here is the continual consecration. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Every day, every night, two lambs. 
One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you and speak with you. Who do you think these lambs speak of? Foreshadow. Ah, Jesus, right? Again, the life of Jesus is the device that God uses to meet with you and speak with you on a daily basis, morning by morning, evening by evening. We need to press in and remember his sacrifice, his life. We need him morning and evening and every moment in between. This isn't just a one-time event in our life where we decide we're going to serve God. It's a daily call into deeper fellowship with God. You guys have been on retreats, Christian retreats, where you go up on the mountain, it's called a mountaintop experience, where you get all excited about serving God, and you come home, and that evening everything falls apart, and, and it's just it fades away so quickly, and that's not what God is looking for. What he is looking for is a lifetime of daily relationship, real connection with him. So look at the conclusion. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And in this next couple verses, you can highlight the word I will because all these things are things God will do. I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. If we do things the way God says, we will know him better. We will know him more. We will know him in truth. He will do many things for us. He will provide all that we could ever want or need through the life of his son. And this life with God will only grow deeper. So that's our text for today. So in conclusion, the calling that you and I have is to serve God. But it it, it is a call into a deeper fellowship with God. God doesn't want slaves. And if you have gone to church or gotten the idea from going to church that you need to be a slave of God, you have gotten the wrong idea. He delights in pouring out his love on us daily. Dancing over us with joy and singing is how uh, Zephaniah describes it. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. okay? And I want you to remember the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? Just think about it. The father, who is a picture of God, has two sons. One son leaves in anger and sin and says, I wish you were dead. Dad, give me my money like you're dead. And and so the father lovingly gives him that money. And the other son that he has stays and serves him. The lost son goes, sins, and runs out of money And he thinks in his mind, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to be his slave. 
Maybe, you know, it would be better to be a slave than be as broken and poor and empty as I am right now. So he decides to come home, broken and guilty. The father sees him far off, and he runs out to greet him. And the only response he has is not, I told you so, but I love you. And he hugs him, and he holds him, and he clothes him with a robe, and he gives a ring on him. He forgives him, and he blesses him, blesses him, blesses God is just pouring out love on this rejected or um, dejected and guilty son. Brings him into the house, throws him a big party. The other son gets very upset with his father, refuses to come in after his long day of working. And he argues with his dad after his dad comes out to talk with him. And he argues and said, I have never been loved like you're loving my sinner brother right now. But the father responds by telling his son that he missed out on all of the love because he was so convinced he had to earn it by serving his, his father. He had all this love, but he missed out on it. Okay, open your eyes. Our God is a God of grace, which means he wants to give, to always give, to keep giving, and he is not looking for employees. The second brother who thought that he had to work it all for God, he had to do all these things to please his father, to get love from his father. And that was not what God was looking for. He's not looking for employees who generally clock out 10 seconds early and cut corners whenever they can. God is looking for priests who will invest a huge amount of time into relationship with him. That's what he, he's looking for children who delight to spend time with their father. Those who are interested in seeking the Lord first and then doing the work second. With only the resources gained by fellowship with God himself. That's the only way they plan on doing the work is whatever God gives me. So I'm going back to the questions I read you at the beginning. I'm going to read these again. Questions for God's church today. Do you consider yourself a worker serving God out of duty? Or a son, beloved and accepted by your heavenly Father? I hope that his love today and the teaching of Exodus chapter 29 convinces you of his love, that he doesn't need a, a servant. He wants children. Number two, do you see God's beautiful plan for relationship first? All the things we saw were not jobs. They were about relationship. Number three, does a relationship sound scary to you because you've been hurt in the past? And my offering to you, what I want you to consider if that's the case, is the prodigal son story. This son who came back to the Lord did not get a lecture. And he came back wanting to be a servant and a slave. And the father's like, I already have one of those. And it's not going very well. What I really want is a son who will just let me bless them. Let me love you. And I hope that if you've been hurt by relationship in the past, 
you would take one more leap of faith and say, God, I want to let you bless me and love me. God is asking you, trust me, take my hand and walk with me. The love of God invites you into deeper fellowship every day. It calls you, it pulls you. It's not a burden, it's a blessing to consecrate to God's service. It does take time though. It requires complete surrender in humility and faith of our whole lives. But the reward for seeking God with your whole heart is that you will find him. His power and his life will be seen in your life every day. And that's the offer for for consecration today. Let's stand up. We're going to sing how many songs? Sometimes there's altar calls where someone's like, now is the time to make this choice. And I, those are great. I love those. Okay? But when you're a priest, they knew that that was going to be their calling, that was going to be their life from the moment they were born. They were born as priests. And so... As I look around the room, I have great confidence that many, if not all of you guys, are born again. From the moment we are born again, our life is set aside to serve God. And there's moments in time where consecration happens, where we ask for for buy-in, where God is saying, now is the time to stop living the life the way you were before and to start walking with me on a deeper level level more intense and so let's bow our head and close our eyes this we're, we're going to sing a couple songs uh at this time communion is open and so communion today is is going to be think of yourself like these priests where you're taking the sacrifice the life of jesus and you're you're consuming it into yourself and you're saying this is going to be my life jesus you are my life from this moment forward If I have dreams, if I have plans, I lay them on the altar and instead I am now your priest. We are a kingdom of priests where my life is about connecting with you and constantly showing the blood of Christ over every part of my life, my walk, the way I hear, the way I serve with my hands. Over all the clothing that I wear, your life is to be seen. Jesus, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We, we need your spirit. We can't do this without the oil of anointing coming upon us. And we ask for it. Jesus, we need you so much. We cannot do anything on our own. And we repent of all the efforts and trying that we have put forth into sanctifying ourselves and consecrating ourselves. Let us believe in the sufficiency of the blood of Christ. Father, we thank you for all the trials you have brought into our lives because in these trials, we see that our life is bound up in yours and and that we cannot 
We cannot think that we can do things on our own. So we thank you for the cancers. We thank you for the crashes and the sickness. And we thank you for not giving up on us when we make mistakes, for forgiving us over and over. And Lord, we want to dive into relationship. We want to press in and put our hands on the life that was given for us. We want to hold it, hug it, draw it near to us. We need you, Jesus. In your name, we're going to sing. We're going to praise you, Jesus, right now. We're going to put our hope and trust completely in you. Amen.